Blog Talk Radio. We declare our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be respected as a human being, to be given the rights of a human being in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intend to bring into existence by any means necessary. Shout out to 
Earl Patton and Kobe Brown over at Sony who check in on our podcast from time to time and should be listening in today. Hopefully they call in today and we get some input from them. Um, so, again, shout-out to our listeners, people who have been with us for these last couple months. Every Saturday afternoon, we try to bring you the best we can um, in terms of topics, discussion topics, and uh, panel formats for the, the things we like to discuss from week to week. Um, our show blog, the collectiveradio.blogspot.com, um, you can check that out after our shows to check out um, songs that the music we're listening to, the songs that we mentioned during our What We Hear segment. Um, you can find those cuts on our show blog, thecollectiveradio.blogspot.com. You can join our Facebook group. You can like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at collective underscore BTR. And just like Funkmaster Flex said, we're so digital. We're, we're everywhere out here. Um, let's dive right into um, our topics for today. Right off the bat, uh, we also have a pretty um, significant announcement to make um, We'll, we'll make it towards the end of this segment, um, something we're going to start doing with this show um, probably starting next week, so that's pretty exciting. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but let's get right into the NBA. Uh, the, summer, the NBA Summer League has been going down um, this past week. It's been, uh, it's, it's been interesting. I actually just learned um, just recently. I've been watching some of the games when I, when I get a chance, but uh, the format, Tommy has changed. Um, they've changed it into kind of a tournament-style format with the NBA Summer League, and I believe they just wrapped up in Orlando yesterday uh, with the Houston Rockets, um, which I have. Yes, they finished 4-0 um, with the most points. You get a certain amount of points based on wins and win margin. Um, so the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder both finished 4-0, and um, but the Houston Rockets ultimately winning with the most points overall. Uh, Tommy, weigh in. I know you've uh, I know you've got a chance to watch some summer league action. Um, gotten a chance to see a couple of the rookies that are out there. Anybody uh, catch your eye? Anybody making a strong impression for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've been watching um, a lot of summer league. Been watching the Sixers. I watched one of their games. Khalif White uh, from from Temple University. He's a He's a guy who can put the ball on the floor, a guy who can who can get buckets. And I like the way he plays. I like the energy he plays with. You know, um, Philly can take Philly can take whatever we can get right now. So uh, he's on my radar right now as a guy that I'm really looking at. I'm hoping that I can make the roster because he was undrafted. So you like to root for guys like that. I've also I also watched OKC play and Reggie Jackson, who's actually in going into his third year, I believe, or maybe his second year. But he got some playoff experience with Westbrook going out. And the game I watched, he really showed out, man. He had 20-plus uh, points in the second half, finished with 35. He was just – he looked like a man possessed out there. And, um, you know, with his development, it's key. It's huge for OKC going forward because um, with the dynamic of James Harden going down, the, the void of that – that third scorer or that third third player who can generate his own offense. So Reggie Jackson might be a guy for them up and coming for the future. Um, I also got to see uh, the Orlando Magic play a little bit, which I was uh, I was surprised to watch them play a little bit because Victor Oladipo. I didn't I didn't know that they were going to use him at the point guard position, and I was talking to you, Martin, about it a little bit. 
um, talking about the fact that he, I feel like his learning curve at the point guard position is going to be a little bit of a project, a little bit of a reach because his ball handle is not where it needs to be, but he does have that athleticism and that 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 it factor that that Derrick Rose that 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 Westbrook that explosiveness that scares you, and we saw a glimpse of it when he hit that he hit the game winner actually against the Sixers, my Sixers. He had a step back off, uh, he had a step back over Michael Carter Williams to put them up by one with four seconds left. So he has that it factor, and you know with his development at the point guard position, that could be that could be something to watch out there in Orlando. But those were the, uh, the three teams that I, I got a chance to see this uh, summer league. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people um, were surprised to see Oladipo there at the point. I did read in advance time that that was going to be part of um, Orlando's strategy going forward in terms of how they're going to look to use him. Um, and yeah, we were talking about it, Tommy. I think I, I like I like him at point. I really do because it it really fits more of his position because he's not necessarily a natural two um, to say he's not a natural scorer really and in, even in terms of his size I feel like he's more of a 6'4 build um, the typical two is kind of more like a 6'5 to 6'7 build at least by NBA standards um, and again he's not a, he's not really a natural scorer and he's someone that can that can get you off the bounce and obviously he's got great athleticism so uh, you, you definitely you know, we touched on that when we talked about it, Tommy. There's definitely that learning curve for him. And I think looking at Oladipo's kind of framework, he definitely contributes to the whole, you know, this whole era of unconventional point guards, you know. Um, obviously, you know, we're in the era of just freakishly athletic point guards right now with your Rondos and your Westbrooks and your Derrick Roses um, and so forth. And Oladipo... Um, may fit it, fit into that category. He's a little he's a little uh, he's a little more bulky. I think uh, I think those other guys have more of a, like a leaner aspect to them that makes them a little quicker off the bounce. And you talked about the ball handling. Even you know these guys play point guard their entire lives, so it's certainly a learning curve for him. And as a rookie um, going into a franchise that needs a franchise player desperately and playing the position that's probably most important on the floor, that's a huge learning curve for him, definitely, and, and um, a huge burden to bear for him. I did see that step-back game winner that he hit. Um, that looked that looked pretty good. That looked pretty impressive. I actually I, I actually liked his jump shot, even in, in, in Indiana over the, the course of this college season. I kind of saw his jump shot develop a little bit. He doesn't, he, you know, he takes the right shots, it seems, seems like. He doesn't look to four shots. Um, I think he's got a good stroke. He's got good elevation. Um, with that, you know, that good lower body strength he's got, he really gets up in the air and, and gets that thing off. Um, I again, I you know, I watch stuff from time to time. Uh, one guy that off the top of my head, I you know, I can really talk about because I got to see him move a little bit with Kelly Olynyk from uh, the Boston Celtics out of Gonzaga, and um, I saw him get up and down a few times. I you know, I kind of just went in and watched a few possessions of each game. I didn't really watch any games um, throughout, but I saw some good things and read some good things about Olenek and um, the way he plays, even when Boston drafted him. Um, obviously, they're going away from the Doc Rivers era, going into the Brad Stevens era, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. But um, in terms of just the whole Boston 
mentality, um, the Boston system, I, I think Olenek has a really solid NBA career. You look at the things he's able to do as a big, um, not only is he physical, not only can he bang inside, not only does he want to rebound, does he want to defend, but he can play the pick and pop game. Um, he's not your your Chris Humphreys or your uh, or even your Blake Griffin, who you can't really trust in that pick and pop situation to hit him on the outside and look to take that jump shot. Um, he's got that uh, kind of a la Kevin Garnett. He really does have that range, and he even I've even seen him step back behind the three, which is. Uh, you know, as a shooter, that's even, you know, that's that's more depth than a Kevin Garnett has to be able to step behind that three-point line and shoot it. So, um, again, we'll talk, you know, we'll get a little bit more into the into the Celtics and, you know, what they're doing in a minute here. But um, I, I see Rajon Rondo, again, assuming, you know, he's sticking around with Brad Stevens and they're going to make that thing work around Rondo. Um, I, think, I think he can use Olenek, um, you know, pretty well. I think he can turn him into a pretty decent player. Um, Jay, I'm curious. Have you gotten a chance to watch any summer league action? Is anybody uh, is anybody on your radar early? Jay, you there? All right. Um, waiting for waiting for Jay Lawrence to get on, but um. Yeah, it's been it's been good action, and uh, uh, I think they, I'm pretty sure they start up in Las Vegas today. Um, this past week was in Orlando, and now they start up in Vegas today. I did see that Shabazz Muhammad, the draft pick for the Minnesota Timberwolves, will make his debut tonight around 6:30. Um, so more rookies will look to make their I'm debut and, and get themselves on the map. Yeah, I know Shabazz is your guy, right, Tommy? I know you mentioned that you like what Minnesota's doing overall. Yeah, I like them a lot because getting a guy like Shabazz Muhammad, he brings that, you know, that sort of you don't really know how he's going to pan out because he can pan out and be a 20-point scorer in this league. He just has to stay focused and dedicated. We've seen that over the course of the season at UCLA. He started off down, but there were times when you were like, okay, this kid has that it factor. And, and pairing him up with Ricky Rubio, and now they got uh, Kevin Martin and Kevin Love coming back healthy. I just like their team. I just like, I just like the young pieces that they put together. They they have a lot of foreign guys. They got the guy Pekovic down low. I think they got to resign him, but I just like what Minnesota is doing overall. And I feel like they're a team that could could bump up in the risings in, in that Western Conference with you know your Lakers <laughs> with your Lakers seemingly falling out. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's 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 definitely open season in the Western Conference it seems like. Um but yeah, Minnesota's success will certainly be predicated on getting Kevin Love back and healthy. He's definitely the centerpiece there, but again, uh Tommy, like you said, those pieces those younger pieces yeah, Pekovic man, he's a banger. He's he's a double double guy. He he gets it done. So you get uh you know, you get Kevin Love back in there to kind of space out that four spot for them and and, uh, you know, spread teams out a little bit, um, you're looking at a potentially dangerous situation for Minnesota. Um, and like That's you said, Tommy, top and bottom in the West. What's that? That's the best power forward in the game right there, Kevin Love. People forget. When, he, when he's healthy. When he's healthy, best best power forward in the game? Are you, are you, yeah. uh, are you standing by that? Right now, he is. I would say that. I think it's I think it's a decent argument. Um I think the power forward spot is being um 
kind of overshadowed by the whole, you know, small ball mentality right now. And, and you know, you talk about even at the center position, I mean, how many, I think we're kind of, you know, we're sort of getting into better bigs. I mean, Roy Hibbert is starting to come into his own, you know, Brooke Lopez and, you know, you got Dwight kind of floating around being Dwight. But um, at the, the four position particularly, um, it's almost kind of a lost art, I feel like. And even in Kevin Love's situation, Tommy, I do think he's he should be, if not already, he's considered one of the top power forwards in the game. But, again, it's that kind of unconventional aspect to it because uh, looking at his game, he's kind of more of a three. Some would argue maybe even a two guard. Um, and even before he got hurt, I mean, he really slimmed down. Yeah, I mean, he, he really slimmed down. He took off all that weight, I feel like, purposely so he could be more agile, so he could step out to the three a little bit more. And, and heck, he won the three-point competition. So there you go, Tommy. Your best your best power forward in the game is also the best three-point shooter in the game. So, you know, it, again, it kind of speaks to that, that um, unconventional notions when it comes to, I guess, the point guard position and the power forward position at this point. Um, so, you know, yeah, even the center. I mean, uh, I feel like, you know, good centers, coveted centers are so rare to come by these days. And, you know, I said it last week when we were talking about Dwight Howard, um, you know, regardless of how a Laker fan like myself uh, may or may not feel about Dwight Howard, uh, the fact is that Dwight Howard don't grow on trees. You can't just go out and find a Dwight Howard or a, or a Roy well, Hibbert. Can I say something real quick? Dwight Howard, the Dwight Howard we have in this game right now is light years away from the Shaquille O'Neal of old. I feel like he he's not that guy that you really have to worry about, which is a reason why I feel like the Lakers feel like they can be okay in the next year or so. You know what I mean? It's if you lose a guy like Shaq, it's like oh man, we're we're really not going to win the championship. But the fact that you can say okay in a couple of years we'll be, we'll be fine, it proves that Dwight Howard. I mean, he's good for today's game, but he's nowhere near uh, one of the greatest centers to ever play the game. Yeah, my I mean, in terms of – yeah, no, I don't, I don't think there's an argument for that, Tommy. I, 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 would, I would dare someone to argue that because, the, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, the evidence is there. Um, when healthy, obviously, you know, Dwight is a much better asset than he was, you know, assuming, you know, more healthy he'll be better than he was this past year. But, I mean, this past year he gives you, you know, and it's tough, Tommy, because, you know, he gave us, he gave the Lakers 17 and 12 this year. Tommy, there's not many guys in the NBA that can get you 17 and 12 a night. Um, And I'm not trying to... I'm definitely not trying to, you know, uh, defend Dwight Howard here, and I'm not trying to even rebut your argument because in terms of the dominance, and look, Dwight Howard is is Dwight Howard is just barely taller than LeBron James. That that's another thing that people forget. He's he's an undersized center. Realistically, size wise, he's more of a power forward. But in terms of what he's able to do and not do, you know, he's relegated to the center position. And he, he, you know, I, I think he's he's impactful on both ends. I do, because I think he, you know, he puts pressure on defenses. He makes you foul him, and you know, when he gets close to the basket, you know, it's either a dunk or or a foul. 
um, on the defensive end. He changes shots a lot. So it, it, he is impactful, I think. But, Tommy, I don't think anyone could argue um, looking at his 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 prominence in comparisons to other great big men. He's got a long way to go. Yeah, um, I, I just he's got a long way to go. That no, absolutely not. Yeah, you you guys are in. What's up, guys? What's up, man? Sorry about sorry about that a second ago. We I was I was talking about the summer league because I've been I have been really into it. I mean, it's the only basketball that I've 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 gotten in the last couple weeks. So I've 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 definitely uh, been watching it. Can I go real quick just tell you guys a couple people that I've been watching? Absolutely. Alright, um, so um Khalif Wyatt I love. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he's gonna make the Sixers team. I think he deserves to, um, but I don't know. I, I like the way he plays. His his one if you can if you can pick out one thing about his game is that there's a little bit of a, a, a lack of athleticism that hurts him at, at points. Um, but as far as scoring, toughness, um being able, he kind of has an old school type of game, and 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 I really like that. Uh, so I love Khalif Wyatt. Um, Kelly Olynyk has been my favorite player to watch um, so far in the summer league. Uh, pick and pop guys that can spread the floor. I mean, every NBA team is looking for that, and the improvement on his jump shot um, from the college season to now has been tremendous. I mean, it it looks good. Um, he takes smart shots. He never forces anything. And the one thing about him that you love with big men is that his, he has a tremendous motor. And and by motor, I mean, if, for people who aren't hip to the basketball lingo, um, he runs the floor. And, and every team wants big men that consistently run the floor. And he does that with, with little to no effort. He I, I love the way he gets up and down the floor. I love the way he competes. Um I love Victor Oladipo at the at the point guard spot as well. Um, I think we're gonna we're we're seeing a trend here. Uh, you know, NBA as any professional league is a copycat league. Um, when you have an athlete of his caliber, if you can get him at the point guard spot and have him adjust to it, then you have a stud at that position who's athletic enough to guard and to and to play at the pace that most NBA point guards are playing at nowadays. So Victor Oladipo is 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 playing, I believe, the right position for him in the NBA. Um, but one guy that, that we that we didn't mention that I really like is Solomon Hill. Um, he played at Arizona. Oh, yeah. Um, Four-year four year player, um, which I really like um, because he knows how to play basketball. He he uses I, – I, I just love swingmen, and I love the way he changes speeds. He already has an NBA body, um, Paul's. So he so he gets to the rim really well. He uses his pull up. He has he he has that that missing in between game that a lot of guys at the NBA level lose. It's either a three or or to the basket. But um, he plays under control. He 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 slowed down. I, I saw a couple of his early games and I thought he was playing too fast. And he actually said in an interview like, "Yeah, I, I was. I was playing a little bit too fast." So once he slowed down, he he was very very effective. Um, the game that I saw, he had 25 and six, and I and I and I really really like his game. I think he's going to be a Jared Dudley type NBA player who's going to give you something on both ends of the floor. And if he continues to develop his his three point shooting, 
he could be a, a very, very good starter or bench player, maybe in that Aaron Aflalo mode. That's what I see out of out of him, but every NBA team would love to have an Aaron Aflalo or a Jared Dudley. Um, so I think he's going to be a very productive NBA player. So I, I really like what, I, what I've what i seen in the summer league. I was very disappointed in, uh, in um, the kid from Syracuse who's playing for the Sixers. I don't know why. I'm, Michael Carter-Williams, I don't know how I blanked out on his name for a second. I, I think he needed another year. He has NBA size. I think he's great at the point guard position. I think a year, another year in with Jim Beheim in that system, playing in the ACC now especially, I think that would have done wonders for his game. And and not that I don't think he's going to be good. I mean, everybody wants a, a young guy. And, you know, that was kind of the appeal Um with the higher picks, we've seen that over the last couple of years, the 18 and 19 year olds are hot commodities because they're so young. You give them time to develop and they can possibly, you know, have a three year longer NBA career than guys that are in college for two to three years or four years. Um, but I don't like the hype because he's not ready right now. And and that's just what I saw from the summer league. Um, and uh, one more player really fast. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, Oklahoma city thunder. Mm. Mm. Did y'all see the pullback game winner that he hit? I don't I know. I don't know that. if anybody yeah. saw that game. It was pretty. It was funky. He he. Yeah, this is on Wednesday, and it was a and it was against the kid Mo Harkless from from that played at uh, St. John's that's in Orlando now. So he's he's an NBA player. You know, he's had right. a year in the league, and Lamb put some something nasty on him and hit a game winner. And I love his calm. He never gets too high or too low. He stays at a steady point, and he just plays basketball. He struggled that whole game. I think he went four for 16 until he hit that shot. Um, but he wow. hit the game winner in, in that game and against Orlando. Uh, and and I don't think he's a starter yet, but they need some type of scoring off the bench, and he can deliver that for them. So um, I like what I what I saw from him, particularly in that game, because you really get to know what a player is about when he's struggling, and he didn't he didn't let it affect him, especially when it came to crunch time. He got the ball, he came off a screen and roll. Um, they didn't get the switch. Mo Harkless got over the screen, and he hit him with some with some Kimba, like with that with that UConn mm. step back move, <laughs> and, and and literally. Bounce Mo Harkless out of the frame. You should YouTube it because he bounced Mo Harkless out of the frame of the camera and just calmly nailed the jumper to win the game. And you know that's a big time shot. That's an NBA move. And and I think he's just he's developing slowly. But OKC is looking for that third piece. And yeah. and I think that Serge Ibaka. I think he's that third piece. But they're gonna need another. And Jeremy Lamb continues to develop. I always thought he was an NBA player from his UConn days. Now seeing him develop a little bit, it's really the type of swagger he's playing with now. And uh, and I think it's only oh. going to continue to develop. So I'm, I, I was really, really excited to see him. Uh, Jay, uh, you know, they got Jeremy Lamb from that James Harden trade, and then, you know, he kind of disappeared last year. It seemed like they didn't yeah. even – want him, but, you know, maybe he fills that two-guard void with Kevin Martin now in Minnesota? Um, I That's what that's what I'm saying. I think they need to go out in free agency, and I think they need to get a two-guard to give him a little bit more time. But mm. if, if you if, – if, 
he would struggle because he struggles defensively. He always has in, in playing the, the two-guard spot in the NBA. And you're seeing the Kobe's, the Wade's. You, you got to be able, like, especially with OKC, you know, team, um, you have to be able to defend at least a little bit. I don't think he's there yet defensively. And offensively, his game is, is it's slowly progressing, but it's progressing into an NBA two-guard type of game, which is going to be huge for OKC. So I, I don't I don't think from in my in my opinion, I don't think he's absolutely ready to be the starting two guard right now for a championship team, but I think in a year or two years or so, he there there could be a new big 3 in Oklahoma City with Lamb, Durant and Westbrook that would be, you know, pretty pretty good cuz he's he's getting there. Um, and, okay. and I love Reggie Jackson. I've, I've, I like Reggie Jackson for a long time now, even when he was coming off the bench way back. So with the two of them kind of figuring things out, I think they have a nice little nucleus of, of ones, twos, and threes that they can go to. And the plus is that they're all young. So, you know, that, that, that's invaluable right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Lawrence, uh, have you, have you gotten a chance to watch any summer league action. I'm curious if you if you've got any input for us, any young guys that you that you've seen so far. I have actually um on on Wednesday. I mean, I, I work during the day, so I I don't get a chance to watch them until the evening and a lot of the games are during the day, so I have to see them on replays. But on Wednesday I actually saw um Oklahoma City against the against Tommy Sixers. <clears throat> and I I was thinking this before Jay actually said it, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad it was actually brought into the discussion. But Jeremy Lamb was extremely impressive on Wednesday. I mean, he had I, I want to say it was either 32 or 35 points against the Sixers. Like he he was really seemed like he's starting to come into his own. He and Reggie Jackson playing together have been really well. They're both they're both guys that can score. I mean, they're they're not they're not strictly scores. You know what I mean? They're not. They're not going to, you know, come in and start taking away big shots from Westbrook and Kevin, uh, from Westbrook and Kevin Durant. But at the same time, they're guys that can help, and they're guys. I think between the two of them, Oklahoma City can find their replacement for Kevin Martin and have someone be effective. You know, because there's, these are two young guys. These aren't veterans that you know you know what you're going to get for them. These are younger guys that you can still. That you that are only getting better and that are going to be you know coming into their own, really figuring out how they can be as effective as possible in the NBA game. You know, especially on a playoff team, a championship contender, realistically, like the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, Reggie Jackson and and Jeremy Lamb. It's only been what like three or four games or something like that. But they're one. They're number one and three in scoring throughout the entire summer league in terms of averages. These guys. These guys are really filling it up and. and I, I I've been very impressed with them. Um, Jay also mentioned uh, Kelly Olynyk. I saw the Celtics play on Thursday night. I want to say, and he was impressive. Jay brought up the the him on the pick and pop and how effective he is in that. And if he continues to work on that that you know that 15 to 17 footer and really 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 becomes a, a threat from there. He's going to be an issue. I mean, he's a he's a high motor guy, like Jay said. He gets up and down the floor. He's strong. He's athletic. You know, he's he's going to be a physical presence. But if he can if he can add a game like the 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 Kevin Garnett game, realistically that they that they're losing with KG going to Brooklyn, the guy that can you know pull bigs out of the paint, step out fifteen to seventeen foot, knock it down on a consistent basis, make the other team's bigs have to honor that. 
then I mean they they definitely have something to start off with, and they and not to mention that they will have. I mean, obviously he's not playing summer league, but also Jeff Green, who's another bigger guy. He's Jeff Green's maybe only about six eight or six nine, but he still plays the four at times, and that's another guy that can really stretch stretch defenses, allow the Celtics to space the floor. They'll have multiple shooters on the floor at all times. So I'm I think Kelly Olynyk's going to fit in really well with what the six with what the Celtics do and and what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I actually I had brought up Olenek earlier um, as the kind of the one guy I've really gotten a chance to actually watch, and I I keep thinking about how well Rondo can put him to use. Um, oh, you know, you think about the the lack of weapons that he's got now. Um, he's going to be working with, you know, some really raw elements. Um, but I think all I think Olenek is a good start too. I, I I couldn't agree more. He's got the toughness, the motor, like Jay said before. And the fact that his shooting has improved so well, um, I, I definitely see him as a coveted piece going forward for Boston. Um, and you know, looking at Boston, and I, and I, I can't help, you know, I, I can't help obviously reverting back to my Lakers. But I, you know, I want to group Boston and LA kind of in the same category for obvious reasons. You know, the two storied NBA franchises. Um, seemingly on the edge of a cliff, um, on the edge of their own respective cliffs right now. Um, you know, they've been talking the last couple of days about Brad Stevens and Rondo. Um, apparently they've met and had conversations, and and uh, it's been really interesting to to read and hear about because, you know, Brad Stevens is, is that analytics guy that's kind of like the route they're going now, this whole analytics movement, which – uh, Brandon Robinson, who called in on our show last week, kind of alluded to this, you know, new wave of analytics and crunching numbers and statistics and stuff, kind of like that whole money ball mentality. Um, Brad Stevens is all about that, and I even read that he has his analytics guy from Butler coming with him over to Boston. Um, and apparently Rondo has that same kind of mindset. Everyone says he's this kind of basketball nerd. He loves, you know, analytics and that kind of stuff. So uh, seemingly it could be a good fit. Um, however, it has been, you know, discussed, kind of put out there a possibility of a Rondo trade, which I don't really see happening. I mean, you know, he's the last breathing cornerstone for the Boston Celtics right now. I think there's no way Danny Ainge lets go of him. But, uh, Tommy, I mean, looking at these two, you know, storied NBA franchises that, you know, one is, is rebuilding, going in a new direction. The other is <laughs> kind of just lost in the doldrums. But, uh, you know, initial impression, Tommy, which one of these storied franchises do you think uh, finishes higher in the NBA standings next year? Which one do you think is in better shape? Now y'all feel my pain, man. Now y'all feel my pain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, I feel next year it would have to be the the Celtics, I would say, because the East, the East is more wide open at the at the bottom. You've had you had a team like the Milwaukee Bucks who made the the playoffs last season. So thirty five, thirty nine wins might get you in the playoffs in the Eastern Province. Whereas the West, you were playing in for the for AFC the last game of the season. So you know it, the West is up for grabs. Teams are competitive. A lot of teams finish with almost similar records. So it would have to be. I would have to go with Boston. You know, even though they're gonna they're gonna struggle, but like I said, the Eastern Conference is more wide open at the bottom. I'm gonna yeah, go I have with to the agree. I'm looking at the conferences. Really, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I would I would definitely go with the Lakers. I mean, and there's really only one reason why I would go with the Lakers, but it's a pretty good reason, and his name is Kobe Bryant. I mean, the Celtics are yes. the Celtics are definitely going going in a younger direction, and and with Brad Stevens, and you know, I mean, Jeff Green and and Rajon Rondo are pretty much going to be their nucleus, but at the same time, they I don't think that they've done a good job of making up for the scoring they've lost in Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett yet. I mean, they they, they need some perimeter guys, and, and unfortunately to say, I know they were in an in injury season where they had a lot of guys out, and it was just a rough year for them, but Avery Bradley and Courtney Lee are not going to cut it. They, they, they simply aren't, and I mean, we talked about this last week. The East is realistically becoming just as much of a powerhouse, if not even more of a powerhouse than the West, especially with these offseason moves. You look at Brooklyn, you look at Cleveland even. I mean, I think I think the Lakers, with with Kobe at the helm, are going to be a playoff team. There's no way that Kobe Bryant, if, if healthy, you know, and if playing, hopefully that Achilles holds up for him. I'm pulling for Kobe as much as Martin and JR probably. I, I, I really want to see Kobe, you know, come back in with a vengeance. Why would the Lakers really, want to make the playoffs? You, you, don't think, you don't think they want to make the playoffs? Yeah, if if you're a Laker fan, why would you want to make the playoffs next year? Damn, Tommy. I mean, I I would say you <laughs> want to make the playoffs because Damn, it's not it's not like Kobe Bryant has an infinite amount of time left playing basketball. Like, I mean, not not saying that you know he's Kevin Garnett and his days are realistically numbered, but at the same time, come on, guys. Like he's he's been playing for a very long time. I. Um, I think we lost Lawrence and Jason temporarily, Tommy. Um, but I, I, I do under, I we do, you know, Tommy. We talked, we did, we've talked about it, and I do know why you ask the question because um, it, it's it's a question that is in the back of every fan's minds of a team that is probably going to be horrendous next year, and obviously the big topic for next year is the 2014 free agency, which features high-profile guys, LeBron and Carmelo, most notably, and then the draft. You know, it's such a, you know, next year's draft is so coveted and so anticipated. And obviously the Andrew Wiggins sweepstakes is up for grabs. So, uh, Tommy, I do I do know why you ask the question, and it's a question I'm even struggling with as a Laker fan. Um and 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 it's 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 tough to look at, and I'm looking at you know what we've done thus far and what it looks like we're trying to do for next year. We signed Nick Young yesterday, um, which I think is, I mean, at this point, like you said with your Sixers, Tommy. I mean, we can we need everything we can get. We signed Chris came into a one year deal, who is solid at best. I'm not going to overhype him, but I'm also not going to underestimate him because Chris Kamen, you know, he may not be an elite or even necessarily a starting center, but he's offensively capable. He's capable of hitting hitting jump shots. He's capable of putting the ball in the basket every so on. Yes, he's old, um, but I think he contributes in the in the most minimal way possible. I think I think he does contribute because he has offensive capabilities. Speaking of which, thank God we let go of Meta World Peace. Who I like to call meta offensive liability. Um, anybody, you know, and and it's it's tough for Laker fans to let go of meta for two reasons. One, because of what he did for us in Game Seven against Boston in 08. Two, because he's such an ultra competitor, 
and he's been the only Laker that's been able to match the competitive nature of Kobe Bryant consistently over these last few years. But if we're just talking basketball, Tommy, there is no way in God's green earth that I want Metal World Peace on my basketball team. I mean, this guy catches the ball, and I cringe. Every time he catched, he caught, he caught the ball in these last few seasons, I, I cringed. I, I felt goosebumps from the top of my head down to my toes. I was frightened. I was petrified. And most of the time it was warranted by a bad shot, a turnover, you know, something stupid that, you know, meta offensive liability likes to do. I'm glad that we're rid of him because it, it literally getting, getting rid of him literally makes us that much better offensively. If you were to take away Meta World Peace on the Lakers on NBA 2K, our offensive rating would definitely go up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, I'm looking at our team like, you know, it, obviously we're in desperation mode, but we need offense. And I think Nick Young brings offense. You know, he might start. If Kobe's not good to go on opening night, he may be our starting off guard. Who knows? Um, and you look at other things that are happening. I don't know if you heard, Tommy, but it looks like Jordan Farmar is coming back to us, getting getting the gang back together. Um, yeah, they're, they're, like they're, you know, it's a good question because I don't know, and I'm fairly positive he wasn't in the NBA or on a roster yeah, last year because I, I sure didn't see him playing for anyone. Um, but, you know, coming out of the woodwork, they've been saying they're working on a deal for him to – um, get another deal back with the Lakers. They said they've reached out to Lamar Odom, who was with the Clippers last year. Um, there's mutual interest there. There hasn't been anything confirmed yet in terms of the signing, but there has been reports that there's mutual interest. Um, you know, again, it's desperation mode for my Lakers. Getting the gang back together, you bring back Farmar, get Lamar Odom back in there where he actually wants to play basketball. He's seemingly been depressed ever since he left the Lakers. Um, so maybe we get him back and we get a Lamar Odom that wants to play basketball and a Lamar Odom that wants to play basketball as an asset. Um, but, you know, back to the original question I posed, I, you know, I'm inclined to agree with you, Tommy, um, because I'm looking at the conferences. I mean, I, I think, you know, like Lawrence said, we have talked about the fact that the East is surely rising. You've got teams like Brooklyn coming strong with their moves. You've got Derrick Rose coming back. You know, the Knicks are going to be there. The Pacers are going to be there. Um, but, you know, those bottom-tier teams, you know, I think it'll be wide open for the Celtics. I think they have a chance to get into that, you know, possibly six, seven, eight slot. Um, like you said, you look at a team like Milwaukee, who was the eight seed. Um, Boston was the seven seed this past year. Um, you know, Milwaukee acquired O.J. Mayo. They lost Monte Ellis. Um, you know, I see that as an improvement. Yeah, they, they might be letting go of Brandon Jennings, but I, I'm, from what I'm seeing and hearing, it seems like they'll re-sign with Brandon Jennings. Um, but, you know, uh, no Monte Ellis, you know, lose Monte Ellis, insert O.J. Mayo, I think that's at some level an improvement for them. Um, but, I, again, I think that bottom tier for the Eastern Conference is kind of wide open for Boston to creep in. Um, I, I think I think in terms of the roster makeup, I, I definitely give the Lakers the advantage. But I'm looking at the conferences, and I see the West, you know, really rounding out. Like I talked about it last week, you know, the Houston Rockets, who were the seventh seed, this, or the eighth seed, rather, this past year, forgive me, um, you know, they've got Dwight Howard now. That's an improvement. They're definitely going to move up in the rankings. Um, the Lakers were at the seventh seed this past year. They lost Dwight Howard. That's a big hit for them. 
Um, so they're going to have to compensate. And then you've got Kobe coming back from injury. You know, um, it, it just seems like a very dire situation for my Lakers in terms of getting into the playoffs. Um, Tommy, maybe we don't need to make the playoffs. You know, maybe that's... that's really and, 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 you know, we talked about it yesterday, though. Um, if Kobe Bryant's on the floor, our chances of making the playoffs are obviously much better, but our chances of tanking um, disappear because you can't convince Kobe Bryant to tank a season. It's not in his makeup. It's not in his blood. He doesn't believe in that. Um I don't want to focus too much on the Lakers, but it's been, you know, it's been another storyline, obviously, with their struggles and what they're, uh, you know, looking ahead to what they're seemingly going to go through next year. Next year's free agency period is going to be really interesting, Tommy. Um, I, I will say, speaking as a Laker fan, very subjectively, I am rooting fully and wholeheartedly against the New York Knicks this year. I want them to have a horrible season because I want Carmelo Anthony to just suck it up, come to L.A., play with Kobe, and and let's get our super team together. You know, we're in this era of super teams. You just like this. It, it, you know, I mean, ever since, and it, you can say it started with Miami, but realistically it was Boston with Paul Pierce and Ray Allen going to Boston. You know, we're in the era of super teams. Uh, it's cultivating, and, and we're in it. You know, Brooklyn knows it. The Clippers know it. Um, and And... and it's becoming it's becoming really exciting. I think it makes for a really exciting league. But again, going back to my Lakers, Tommy, I, I and again, you know, I I don't think going after LeBron, you know, everyone talks about the LeBron sweepstakes next year. Is it Cleveland? Is it LA? Is it New York? Listen, I don't want LeBron on my team with Kobe Bryant. You know, <laughs> I, I just I just don't. I, I don't think it makes it's sense. Effective. I mean, regardless of regardless of the fact that I'm a Kobe Bryant fan and not so much a LeBron fan. I, of course, I'd want LeBron on my team, but not with Kobe, Tommy, not with Kobe, man. That's too much of a power struggle. Put Carmelo with Kobe. Yeah, I want Carmelo, the guy with no rings, to pair up with Kobe, the guy with five rings, who can show him the way, who can show him the process. And, you know, from a scoring aspect, the Lakers need as much help scoring-wise as possible. So I'm looking you, at you this. Do you think Melo's going to defer to him? No, look at it this way. Look at it this way. They would have to defer to – there's a level of deferment that would have to go both ways. If Carmelo is a member of the Lakers for the 2014-2015 season, that will be Kobe's 19th year in the NBA. You really think Kobe is going to be trying to take away shots from Carmelo, who he knows and respects as probably one of the top scorers? Come on, man. You know, people – People people underestimate the greatness of Kobe in the sense of what he's willing to do to win. Kobe's never had a Carmelo Anthony on his team before, Tommy. And that is, is, your, is that accurate in saying? I think never, I can say that never, honestly never. off the top of my Never had a Carmelo Anthony on his team. You give Kobe somebody like Carmelo Anthony, uh, someone like LeBron James, like he has Dwayne Wade, hello? Give Kobe, a, give Kobe another score. You think Kobe is going to take away shots from Carmelo Anthony? I don't think so, man. I think it's Which is why it's a tag good season. Well, I mean, I, 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 I think, you know, even if they tank this season, even if they don't tank this season, they, they have a chance at the free agency period next year because they have all that cap room and they're going to have all this yeah. money. So, 
you know, they'll have the ability to pay Melo whether they tank it or not. I think the tanking is more about the Andre, the Andrew Wiggins sweepstakes in the NBA draft for next year. So I think, you know, to get some younger pieces. So, I mean, again, it's a, (laughs) you don't want, it's like as a Laker fan for me, obviously, I'm, you know, looking ahead, you don't want to look ahead too much, but it's like, again, I I can say it honestly, I don't want the Knicks to do well this year because I want Carmelo. I think Carmelo and Kobe is a much more viable and way more reasonable pairing than LeBron and Kobe. I don't even think LeBron would want to go to L.A. to be beside Kobe, who already has more rings than him. I mean, if you're on that ring hunt, no, no, it it doesn't work that way. And and their games clash. There's nothing about Kobe and LeBron that works. Kobe and Carmelo? I might might have to disagree with that, Martin. It would work. You think so? I I like LeBron over Melo simply because when LeBron gets the ball, on a rotation, the ball doesn't stop. You have Kobe on one wing, ball stopper. You have Melo on another ring, ultimate ball stopper. I think LeBron. I mean, I know we're we're you know we're we're being optimistic, but if yeah. I had if I found the Lakers and I have the choice, I go after LeBron first for for a few reasons. One is that Kobe and LeBron there. There's also a respect level there. And I love the way LeBron shares the ball. If LeBron is getting, if LeBron is getting, you know, twenty-five plus a night, he's also getting seven to eight assists. That means Kobe is also getting twenty-something a night. With Melo, both of them can go off, but that's a lot. That's a high volume of shots that both of them need, or or not necessarily need, but take. And I and I think with a with with LeBron there. Now you have also you have a scorer, you have a facilitator, you have a defender, you have a rebounder. I think LeBron's whole game could help Kobe get a ring more so than Melo, because just because the ball is going to stop, it, the the offense is not going to flow with Melo and Kobe on each wing is as special as that could be. I think LeBron would make more sense with Kobe if the Lakers are going to go after a big name. Mainly because the ball doesn't stop with LeBron. He could. Um, I think Jay makes a Jay makes a good point, Tommy, and and I uh, and I adhere to that point. I I think what it comes down to, and I'll admit it, I, I'm selfish. You know, I, I'm I'm selfish. I you know I see if I were to see LeBron, you know, if I envision LeBron on the Lakers beside Kobe Bryant. What I envision and what I ultimately fear is seeing Kobe go through what Dwayne Wade, what I feel at least Dwayne Wade is experiencing right now in terms of undervaluement and 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 a lack of appreciation. Because, of those because things, well, yeah, because LeBron is the best in the game right now, and you know whatever team LeBron could go to any team right now, and and he is the focal point. I mean that's you can't deny that you can't get away from that, um, even on a team with Kobe Bryant. And that's that. I mean, and I guess it's just me being selfish again because I'm so prideful in my in my in my career as a fan of Kobe Bryant, and I want to see him really do well. Um, it may take it may take Kobe succumbing to another top superstar. You know, if it's LeBron, if it's Carmelo, it may take him succumbing to someone like of that of that nature. But 
I see where I see where you guys come from, and I and I do in the back of my head I do know it because if you're going to succumb to someone, you want it to be the guy who can create for himself and others, not just someone who's going to create for himself. And Jay I do makes acknowledge a great point that. that Jay makes a great point. He, does, he absolutely does. If they, if they bring if they bring Carmelo in the fold, they're going to have to bring another playmaker or facilitator to to get those guys the ball because you don't want them both just stopping the ball and just taking all those shots. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll literally be any mini, miny, mo. I mean, who takes you take a shot? You take a couple of shots. I'll take a couple of shots. You take. I mean, and I guess, I guess, you know, kind of naively, I see that kind of working because I just see it being so lethal offensively. You know what I mean? And again, with Kobe, with that, you know, twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, that would be Kobe's nineteenth season. I don't think he'll be able to do the things offensively as thoroughly and consistently as he could before. And I think I just think as a, as a scoring supplement, I see you know I, I like Carmelo for that. But obviously, you know, when you yeah, have LeBron James on your team, what's that? You wouldn't even you wouldn't even want Kobe to be handling the ball like as much as he's been in the past, doing all that stuff off no. the dribble, you know? Yeah, yeah, Catching exerting all that energy. Yeah, and 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 in terms of a franchise replacement, LeBron is definitely the more viable option. I will certainly acknowledge that. Uh, Jay, are you back with us? Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Go ahead and finish your point, bro. Back there, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was what I was getting to was, I just think Melo and Kobe, high volume shooters, elite scorers, obviously. Um, but just high volume shooters, I think the 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 motion and the and the ball movement and an offense would like that. I just think the ball would stop too much, and I think they would. I I, I don't know how well they would complement each other. I think with LeBron, you have a guy where the ball never stops. He does everything on the floor at the highest level, and I think he keeps Kobe happy because he creates easier shots for Kobe. And as Nash is getting older, as Kobe's getting older, now you can have someone who's an elite ball handler, an elite passer, who can possibly add some years on these guys' careers because they won't have to do that much work. With with Melo, I think Kobe has to take some ball handling uh, responsibilities. I think Nash has to do all, all of the ball handling. And I feel like I, I just feel like it would make more sense for LeBron, for the future of the franchise, obviously, and yeah. for Kobe's sake, I think to have a guy like LeBron who can defend the two or the three or the point, whoever's hurting you that night, you throw LeBron on him. So now Kobe yeah, doesn't we have didn't to even play both defense. Yeah, now Kobe doesn't have to play both ways as much. Nash is now not so much of a defensive liability because he may not have to guard a Westbrook. He may not have to guard a Tony Parker, um, guys that he cannot guard, um, especially at his age. I mean, he never could, but now especially not. You have a rebounder. You have a facilitator. LeBron just does so much that now you have a guy that can possibly help extend Kobe's career, definitely get Kobe another ring, and can take the reins of the franchise and take them into this new era because it's gonna be it's gonna be weird when 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 the Mamba's off the floor in L.A. 
Staples Center will never be the same unless they get LeBron James. I, I'm, I think that's I think that's it. I don't think Melo is the guy to do it. Um, I think LeBron James is the guy to do it. I doubt that he will go to L.A. I doubt that I doubt he, it too. That I he doubt want, it. Yeah, like I, I doubt that with all of the work that he's put into his own brand to go from Miami to L.A., I don't yeah. think that's what he wants. But if we're talking basketball-wise and you're talking Melo and Kobe or LeBron and Kobe, I think it makes more sense for LeBron and Kobe, not even based off of who's better, LeBron or Carmelo, based off what they do on the floor and how they can fit into an offensive system. I think I think it's I think it's a no brainer. I think it's LeBron. Yeah, I um I definitely think they you know, conventional wisdom says they definitely throw the offer first at LeBron. I think I yeah. think, you know, he's top priority for the Lakers, for the Cavaliers. I Again, I don't see him going, coming to L.A. I really don't for the reasons you just said, Jay. I don't see him going back to Cleveland either. I don't see that. I I, I don't. I, I don't know. I I think people are making more of it because of the whole decision thing, and they expect him to make some kind of big announcement. I think the, the way I'm looking at it, I think the best chances are he stays in Miami. And, you know, with the weight and weight on the last leg of his career, maybe bring in somebody else, maybe a younger guy to supplement him. Um, maybe he carries out his legacy in Miami. I don't know. But the 2014 uh, summer free agency will definitely be um, something to look forward to because of those high-profile names. Um, wrapping up for the segment, guys, I want to go around real quick um, and get everybody's, uh, I guess I'll call it bandwagon and sleeper teams. Uh, name, a, name your NBA team that, that you are, that, that you're, in for that you're you're saying you're on the bandwagon for, and then a team that you're picking as a sleeper for next year that you're looking to maybe creep into the playoffs or make some noise. Um, I'll start off, guys. I'm on the Brooklyn Nets bandwagon. I'm just I'm on it. I'm rooting for them in the Eastern Conference. Um, we talked about them a couple weeks ago when they made the moves. When the, actually when the deal was agreed to to acquire Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Jason Terry from Boston. We talked about what that does for their roster. I think they have the best starting five in basketball. They just got Andre Karolinko yesterday, which NBA GMs are absolutely (laughs) fluctuated over, and they want Mikhail Prokhorov's head for it because they don't know how he's pulling off these moves. So you've got another bench piece in Andre Karolinko that's going to defend, that's going to play hard. Um, I think Brooklyn is making all the right moves. Um, I'm on the Brooklyn bandwagon, but I'm also putting it on the shoulders of Jason Kidd, like uh, our own Jason referred to when we talked about this. The pressure is on him to put them in a system that works for all the pieces, but I'm on the Brooklyn bandwagon. My sleeper is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm I'm going to put my stock in Cleveland because I, I like that they got Earl Clark. I like that they got Jarrett Jack, and I like that they got Andrew Bynum. And I, I say Andrew Bynum because they drafted a center as their number one pick. So clearly they are not putting their full stock in Andrew Bynum. Plus they've given him a two-year deal, and the second year is, is an option deal, so they don't have to pick that up. But listen, they've done exactly with Andrew Bynum. They did exactly, Tommy, I hate to you know bring your sixers into this, but they, made a, they, they did exactly what man. you're supposed to do with him. You put an insurance tab on him. Like they drafted Anthony Bennett, a center at the number one pick. Clearly, they don't necessarily need a center. But listen, if Andrew Bynum can give Cleveland fifteen to twenty minutes, it's just solid minutes. I think he helps their team. 
based on what he did for us, my Lakers, in those years when he's actually on the floor, listen, he helps their team. I'm on Cleveland as a sleeper for this year, getting into the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, Tommy, go up next. Who's your sleeper and, and uh, who, whose bandwagon are you hopping on? Well, my bandwagon is the Miami Heat. I mean, if the wheels aren't broke, <laughs> don't fix it. Um, True. I'm glad Andrew Bynum is with the Cavaliers. I hope he actually suits up for them and doesn't just rock a bunch of crazy hairstyles and just pick up their media coverage and generate memes all over Instagram and Facebook that we can all laugh at. But um, my two sleeper teams are the Detroit Pistons out east. I like what they did acquiring Josh Smith. I like what they did bringing back Chauncey Billups. I like what they did hiring Rasheed Wallace as an assistant head coach. That front line with Josh Smith, uh, Greg Monroe, and um, Andre Drummond, I feel, is something to look at. And with the bottom of the East being wide open, like we talked about before, I feel like they could be a team that could squeeze in, in the bottom of the East. And out west, my sleeper team is the Minnesota Timberwolves, like I was saying before. Also, I like Shabazz Muhammad, uh, Kevin Martin, the Ricky Rubio. They got the Kevin Love coming back off injury. I really like with the pieces that they put together. So those are my two sleeper teams. Jay, who you got? Who's your sleeper? Who's your bandwagon? Um, my my sleeper team. And my bandwagon team are the same, and, and that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, nice. Yo, listen, I'll, I will say it now. The Cavaliers have the opportunity, if Mike Brown doesn't doesn't mess things up, the Cavs <laughs> have the opportunity to not only jump into the playoffs, but jump into the top five seeds in the playoffs. Look at, what, look at mm. how their roster is built right now. Anthony Bennett, they take with the number one pick, okay? Four man. I, 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 I always saw him not as an NBA center. You know, he's 6'8". Um, I, I never saw him as a center. I saw him as a hybrid 3-4. He cannot be guarded if he, if he develops the way he should. You have Kyrie Irving, the best young point guard in the game, arguably he's getting there, I, I believe, within the next five years. I think it will be – almost unanimous that he's the best point guard in the game. You have Dion Waiters, who they took last year in the draft, a very good two-guard who I think will now become an off-the-bench scoring energizer guy, which is going to be extremely crazy. You have Earl Clark, a 6'9 hybrid of, of, uh, as well, as, as well as Bennett. You have Tristan Thompson still, who's developing, who could be very good. You still have Anderson Varejao, who who we all forget about, but he is an energy guy that is that value can't be placed on what he can do for your team. You add Andrew Bynum. There's no, they have no soft spot. They have size. They have athleticism. They have youth. You bring Jared Jack in. Now you have leadership. That's huge. You have you have Mike Brown back into his comfort zone, and he was very successful in Cleveland. Uh, okay, it was LeBron. But he was he was very successful in Cleveland, so you have him there, defensive minded coach with a young team mixed in with some yeah. good veterans. This is a uber talented team. This is a highly highly talented team that has that it, that has a complete roster now, a complete roster. Um, I'm on the Cleveland Cavaliers bandwagon. Um, I love the jersey feel. They got Kyrie, 
They got Earl Clark. They got Andrew Bynum. They got the Jersey connection there. So I'm <laughs> definitely on the bandwagon because of that. And and I just right. love their mixture now of in their front court and in, in their back court of youth and talent and veteran leadership who've done it before. So there's no telling what type of influence Jared Jack can have on a Kyrie Irving. There's no telling. Kyrie Irving can now not have to be the primary ball handler all the time. Now he can actually concentrate on scoring a little bit, which is what we haven't seen from him in Cleveland because he's had to, he has, he's had to take care of the point guard duties all the time. That Jared Jack move, now we won't see it during, until the season starts, but look what he did with Steph Curry and, and those guys in Golden State. Jared Jack is a, is a very, very, very good player. And, and a very, very good leader as well that brings Cleveland all types of toughness that they haven't seen before. So I am on the Cleveland bandwagon. I think they are the sleeper in the league with the moves they made. And as long as if they have a healthy Andrew Bynum, they have a healthy Kyrie Irving, Anthony Bennett does what he's capable of doing, and now he doesn't have as much pressure on him. So now he can just go out and play. Earl Clark, Jared Jack. They are a problem. They're going to be a problem in the East. I think if they get into the playoffs, they're going to be one of the tougher outs in the playoffs for a Miami, for a New York, for an Indiana. I think those types of teams don't want to see Cleveland early because they are very, very good on paper right now. And that, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very – I think GM of the year goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers GM right now. I think you can give them that right now. The Brooklyn Brooklyn made a, a terrific move. They had the money to do it. Cleveland doesn't have the Brooklyn money or the Brooklyn yeah. appeal, but they've somehow finagled yeah. their way into a very, very young and talented roster. Look out for the Cavs, man. Look out for what Kyrie does this year with that type of talent around him. He's never had that type of talent around him. He could mess around and really, really, like, come come out like like I'm here like I'm I, like I know y'all knew I was here, but like I'm for real here now. So it's it's exciting, man. I'm really excited about the cast. Absolutely, Lawrence. Give us your bandwagon and your sleeper. All right, so my bandwagon is going to be the uh, the Golden State Warriors. I mean, mm. the team that definitely showed I've been on that one. Last playoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all been on the on the Seth Curry <laughs> bandwagon, but but I think that they've they've. The addition of Andrea Godala makes them very, very scary. And with them being able to keep their entire team, I mean, I'm glad that they didn't have to deal Bogut. Still got David Lee, Harrison Barnes, Clay Thompson. I mean, no, there's no telling what may happen with those guys, but as of right now, they have them, so I'm on it. And my sleeper team is going to be the same as you guys, Cleveland Cavaliers. I love Kyrie Irving. Duke guy, Jersey guy. I mean, and he's realistically one of the best point guards in the NBA right now already, and he's only getting better. Guy like Anthony Bennett put around him. They got some real young bigs, Tristan Thompson and, and Tyler Zeller, who played well for them last year. Deion Waiters, you know, they. I, I think they've definitely got a good young nucleus and, and a team that is going to be scary for any team to, uh, to play against in the East. So the Golden State for the bandwagon, sleeper. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Lawrence, uh, real quick for people who may not know, where did Kyrie Irving play about eight or nine games at in college? Uh, this school in in Durham, North Carolina. It's called uh, Duke University, I believe. 
Oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I heard of that. Oh, true, true, true. Oh yeah. I, I, the <laughs> thing fault, is, though, you're also going to hear a whole lot about Duke next year. We we won't get into it yet. We won't get into it yet. But you're going to hear a whole lot about Duke next year. A whole lot I'm of. Not mm-hmm. Oh, it's black. <laughs> a whole lot of that next year. That's it. All right, gentlemen, we're going to commercial. We'll be right back to talk some music. <laughs> Services LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, Right now, our What We Hear segment is based on our music blog, whatwehear.blogspot.com. This is the segment of our show where we share what we've been listening to, what's on our weekly playlist. As always, we want to encourage any callers or listeners to uh, to call in the number 213-943-3618 and let us know what you're listening to. We want to know. We're going to tell you guys what we've been listening to. Um, I'll start us off for this week. Um, real, real quick, real simple. Um, Magna Carta has been bumping. In particular, I brought I brought sand to the beach because my beach is better. Good lord! <laughs> if you haven't had a chance to listen to the one minute and twenty second interlude on Magna Carta Holy Grail called "Beach is Better," you you're missing out on <laughs> possibly one of the best verses of this year. Um, the trap god. Hove, I can I just say I was saying this to Jay last week. The fact that you got guys like Gucci Man running around here calling themselves the Trap God, and Jay Z comes in on again a minute and twenty seconds, not e- not even a full verse, not even a full verse, just two quick, just quick joints. The hurry up, 
Spazflow, like I got y'all, I am the real trap god. Yo, listen to the joint and and just be amazed by by <laughs> just how much of a of a masterful flow you can get in a minute and twenty seconds. Seriously, don't be mad at me. Yo, listen. <laughs> You you don't know the full effect unless you've heard it. The beat is crazy, produced by Mike Will. It kind of warps you into this kind of um, electronic texture that, if I may say, really sounds more Kanye than Jay. But Jay just comes in with this trap vibe that cannot be denied. If you listen to that verse and you're not ready to just start trapping, there's something wrong with you. Um so the beach is better little interlude joint from Magna Carta Holy Grail. Um, that's I've I've played that minute and twenty second snippet probably a thousand times this week in my car on my computer just turned up. Um, speaking of turning up, my other piece for what we hear is uh, comes from a group called Disclosure. They're actually an electronic music duo. Um, our homie Black Nate actually put me on a couple weeks ago and showed me um, a video of them performing a song called Confess to Me with Jessie Ware, who's a um, young female vocalist who's who's getting some attention right now. Her Devotion project came out this year. Um, but it's a really cool song. The, the al- their album is called Settle. Um, Tommy, you would really enjoy it. It's, uh, it, 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 it's kind of house. It's electronic kind of house, but it's... Um, it's got like a hip hop aspect to it. It's, it's, you know, it's hard dumping. It's and really good vocals too. That's what I really appreciate about, um, you know, this kind of music is when they incorporate, um, you know, really, really good vocals to supplement, um, you know, that music. I don't like just, you know, just techno stuff. I like, you know, I like different influences. So the song "Confess to Me" with Jesse Ware is definitely a standout for me. So um, Jay Z and Disclosure, um, two very different styles, but. It's what I've been listening to this week. Um, Tommy Hill, I'll go to you next. What have you been hearing? What's on your playlist this week? A couple of radio tracks. Um, the Ace Hood, Meek Mill joint, Before the Rolly, I heard the other day. That beat goes hard, and Ace Hood and Meek, I mean, they get my, they get me amped, man. They get me, you know, when I'm ready to turn up and go out for the night, throw on Ace Hood and Meek Mill before the Roly and, and I'm good. I heard another track, the Jim Jones, Nasty Girl, featuring Jeremiah. It's a pretty tough track. You know, another turn-up track for me. Um, I actually listened to uh, a little bit of the Joey Badass Summer Nights mixtape this week. You know, um, a lot of good production on that on that mixtape. Kirk Knight, Chuck Strangers, uh, Bruce Lee Kicks, Bruce Lee Kicks, which is one of my favorite names I've, I've ever heard. Alchemist, uh, DJ Premier, but, um, you know, just the production and the rap, you know, I've really grown to appreciate this young kid, Joey Badass. He's, I don't even really know how to describe his flow. He's 17, 18 years old, I forget, but he he talks about things like he's 25 years old, like me. Like, I could be friends with him, and, I'm, and, and it's crazy. I'm just listening to this young kid, just vibing and, and really appreciating his music. But, um... The the main things I've been listening to is the the, the Cole album and the Wale album. So those are I got to keep going back to those albums. And they actually released a joint track this week, the um, the Winter Steams, produced by uh, Jake One, which you know Cole starts it off, does his thing. Wale comes in and just destroys it. You know, a really really good track. I really liked it. And um, you know, going back to the album, like I said. 
two songs that I've been listening to from Cole's album is uh is the runaway runaway track. Uh, I love the, the the prelude into it when the guy's talking about <laughs> he's like that might have so that might have snippet. Yeah, yeah, man, I love that. You know, he's so different when he's with his woman. Like, <laughs> I mean, that that whole thing just gets me cracking up. The runaway joint. How you doing, man? Uh, How you doing, man? I'm just chilling with the old lady. <laughs> <laughs> I got love that. That nigga ain't like that. <laughs> I love that man. I love that, and, that, and that's a really good track that I um I I gotta I show some love to. And then on the Wale side, the the love hate thing, I didn't show love for it last week, but you know, love hate thing is a song that anybody that's ever been in a relationship, a real relationship, you know, there's that struggle where it's back and forth at times, and that's just a song that's so real, it's so soulful. They got the Marvin Gaye sample. And you know that's a you know that these two dudes, Wale and J Cole, they're just they're him Kendrick and um, I mean Wale, J Cole, and Kendrick. They actually they put a they released a, a photo on Instagram. I think Wale released it. It was him, Cole, and Kendrick in a club, and they put it over a pic of Nas, Kanye, and Jay, as is as to signify that they were the future of you know, of rap, and, you know, I'm just, I really, I really, you know, I feel that those are the three guys that you will put in that category. I mean, some would not would disagree with Wale, but I'm a big Wale fan, and, you know, Cole and Kendrick, I mean, these are the guys that are the future of rap, I feel like, so those two tracks were my main two go-to, Run Away and Love, Hate Thing. Nice. That Love, Hate Thing record, I've said it before, it is slowly and probably is now one of my favorite records this year. Like, I feel like it's just one of those songs that anybody can put on and rock out to, like, anyone, <laughs> seriously. Um, definitely one of the smoother records I've heard this year. Um, JR, J Reels, bless the people with what you've been listening to, my brother. All right. <laughs> so, I know I know Martin brought this guy up last week. Um, he goes by the name of uh, Party Next Door. Um Okay. So he is The Weeknd and Miguel mixed together mm. with with a sprinkle, just a sprinkle, just a touch, <laughs> just a just a small tablespoon of Frank Ocean thrown in there. And and Ooh. you have this this person called Party Next Door. Alright. He's live. He is as live as they come. This his his <laughs> his mixtape E P whatever he put out. Um, I've been all about this week. Um, he has a song on there, excuse my language, called Wild Bitches. Um, sounds like a rap song. Sounds like something that you probably don't want to listen to, and I understand that. But, it is, it is as live as it gets for me. Um, I love what he's talking about in the song. I love how he starts out the song. Shawty, Kim. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. can't sing, but, I'm a, but I, I, you want me to do it? Shawty Kim, Mama straight from the land. He be tell yo, he man. be murking that joint, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. he be, yo, he go, yo, but my chick vanilla. I mean, yo, son. Okay, he be killing that joint, cuz he be killing that joint, cuz. So I've been, I've been all about him. And it wouldn't be fair, or I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say that 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 his that his body of work that he just put out. 
was not on my playlist heavy, heavy, heavy this week. Um, I just love his sound. Um, honestly, I just, I love his sound. I'm a, I'm a, like I said, I've said this before, I'm an R&B guy. Um, it's, it's something that I really enjoy. And he is bringing something similar in in most ways, like you know, you can listen to a couple songs and you're like, all right, that that sounds weekend esque with the with the auto tune and and the and the reverb and all that stuff. But if you listen to him, his writing is a lot more intricate to me than than the weekend. Yeah. And that's where I put in the Miguel kind of category because I think if you take the auto tune away from the weekend, he's not as good. You take his this guy's auto tune away, and he's still very, very talented, and that's where the Miguel thing comes in. And I think his writing is very, very intricate. Um, certainly not Frank Ocean level. That's why I said it's just a sprinkle. Um, but I, I, th- those are the people that I think about when I hear him, and that's a hell of a group to 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 have you know a listener think about when they listen to your music. So um, tremendous project that he put together. The whole thing through and through is tremendous. Um, my personal favorite is the song Wild Bitches. So there it is. Um, dang, uh, it, it, yeah, I must, yeah, yeah, I probably think I'm pretty ratchet this week with these song titles. Um, but I, <laughs> but I've also been heavy, heavy, heavy into uh, Sir Carter's uh, Magna Carta Holy Grail. Um, he has a song on there with with the homie Rick Ross. Molly, know what it's like. I don't even have to explain this to Molly because he know what it's like, but it, 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 it's turned up. It's turned up, and and Ross does what Ross does, and Jay Z does what Jay Z does. The beat is stupid. The energy is stupid. Um, <laughs> it, it it's fair to say that Jay Z does trap music better than a lot of these trap rappers, <laughs> and, Thank you. and it's it, and it's a shame to be them. Because they only do trap music, and Jay-Z does not do trap music. But when he does decide to do trap music, he does it way better than anybody else. Way, way better. And then you just throw Ross in there, and it's just it's just turned up. It's called, once again, excuse the language, it's it's called Fuck With Me, You Know I Got It. Um, Turned up to the max. Speakers bleeding, all that stuff. Slapping, whatever you call it. All of that stuff, that's what this song has. Um, high, high energy track that I've just really, really enjoyed um, over the past week. Um, just terrific. Um, that whole Jay-Z album, for me, um, is the best album of the summer so far. Um, better than Cole. Better than Yeezus. Sorry, sorry, Tommy. Better than Wale. Um, Come on, man. Yeah, it's better than Wale. <laughs> and um I'm not gonna I'm not I was gonna say I was gonna say something about Mac Miller and then I caught myself because that, that <laughs> he shouldn't even be in that conversation, um, in my opinion. But um yeah, so Jay Z, fuck with me, you know I got it. Uh Party Next Door, Wild Bitches. <laughs> Both punch up tracks. Both very good. Uh very, very good. That that that's what I've been listening to. So as you can see, I've I've been pretty turned up this week. I don't know why, but I don't, I can't tell you why. But I have been because of the music that I've been listening to. So I I guess that's just the power of it. Um, display once again. So yeah, those are those are my joints for this week. No doubt, good stuff. Uh, Lawrence Reels, bless us, grace us. What have you been hearing, my brother? All right, so um, 
It it ends up always working out this way, uh, which is funny about uh, our group. But we, I mean, every single time we do what we hear, I end up like hearing the the stuff that all three of you are saying. I'm just like, man, I was listening to that this week too. <laughs> but um, I I did plan on I did plan on briefly going over the disclosure album that Martin talked about. It, it is live. It it is very live. Like you said, it's just two guys. I that I actually found out this week that they're brothers. Two brothers. Oh. It's their first their first studio album. It only came out just this past May, and it's it's crazy. I mean. Uh, shout out to the homie Black Nate, like Molly said, he played the the same video for me, the uh, the song with them and Jesse Ware that confessed to me. That's that's one of the best songs they have on there. They also have a song called Boiling. I, I can't remember the young lady's name that's on it, but it is crazy. It is crazy. crazy. The, the the entire settle album is crazy. If you haven't heard it, get it. You need it. You should have it. Um, other two projects I want to talk about, both older. Oh, one a lot older than the other, but um. The first one I'm going to bring up, which is I, I found myself on Pitchfork, which is one of the bigger music uh, media websites that we have out here, and um, found myself on Pitchfork this week, and I'm looking through their list. They do, they rate albums on a scale from 1 to 10 using decimal places and all of that, and they have a, a certain list of only a few albums realistic. Maybe there's like 30 or 40 that have ever in history gotten a, te- a perfect 10. So I'm going through the list, like kind of seeing like what did it have in terms of what I'm really into, and I stumble upon D'Angelo's Voodoo album. <laughs> it came out in January January of 2000. This is the D'Angelo album that has the untitled song on it. Uh, How does it feel? The one where he was all the uh, naked in the video and and whatnot. Uh, I wasn't necessarily interested in that, but the music is absolutely incredible it's some of the best bass playing i've ever heard on an r&b album to begin i mean d'angelo he 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 really like i mean people want to talk about uh, you know the robin thicks and the weekends and stuff where they're like really kind of almost only singing in like a really high-pitched voice like almost really using the falsetto as much as possible d'angelo started that he's been about that life you know and and I mean, it's it made more than evident on here. There's two standout tracks I would like to recommend. There's one called Playa Playa. Um, it, it's actually the outro of the album. It's about eight minutes long, but listen to the entire eight minutes. I promise you won't regret it. And there's another one called um, Chicken Grease. It sounds like a track Jay will probably talk about on here, real ratchet, but it's it's so live, it's so smooth, it's so smooth, it's 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 incredible. So D'Angelo's Voodoo, if you don't have it, you should go ahead and get that. Um, the other album I want to talk about is um something that I've honestly felt like has become a, a, an instant classic. It's only we're only about two years removed from the actual release of the project, but it's uh, Kendrick Lamar Section 80. You guys with me? Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Kendrick Lamar, Section 80. I mean, we we talk about hip-hop so much, and we talk about how we just – I mean, realistically, the guys that are at the top of the game, we want to see them do their best, right? We want we want to see the best pieces of work being put out. You know, we want to see gems. Uh, I mean, that, that's what we call it. We call them gems. If, if it's a really, really, really good album, like, you know, through and through, it's a gem. And not very many people have a lot of gems. That's just the way this thing goes. It's 
Like if you, you're lucky to get one gem, if you get more than one, you're something special. And Kendrick Lamar has more than one gem. Good Kid, Mad City is absolutely phenomenal, but Section 80 is as good, literally. I, I've been trying to figure out which is better, you know, which I like more. I can't. They're both, they're both perfect albums. You know, the Section 80 is a perfect album. I mean, through and through, every single song in terms of content, in terms of delivery, in terms of musicality, in terms of just the sonics of it, like how it sounds, everything is thorough. It has probably, I mean, some of my favorite Kendrick Lamar songs are definitely on Section 80. I would start with a, a track called Cushion Corinthians. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's it's church. That's what it is. Like I you may not want me to say that, but all right, it's church, Cushion Corinthians. Um and an, another one that that's one of my favorite is a song that he has called Poe Man's Dreams. It, it has a GLC Gangstyle Crisis who's like a Chicago legend, you know, and, and he's worked with Kanye for a long time and he kinda just gets on everybody's tracks and, and just talks. He doesn't even he doesn't even really rap like that anymore, but he, he just talks. He's the, the guy that's always walk around talking about church, cathedral. That that bull Yo, this song is so powerful. Like like there there are legitimately powerful tracks on section eighty. And I mean and I mean that's what gets me. I think that the general like running theme of the album is as good as any other album that we've heard realistically. Martin may not like me for saying this. Section like Magna Carta Holy Grail ain't touching Section eighty. Uh, Jesus ain't touching Section eighty. Like I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm I like, and, and and it's my opinion realistically. I so I like, there's no way for me to objectively say that. But I honestly do think that Section eighty is a solidified classic. Like classic through and through an album that you can put on and not have to skip a section of a track. All right, well, I'll, I'll take that back. There's one song on there that I can do without, but everybody's Don't everybody's allowed one. That's that's the that's what we we kind of come to it like. You're allowed one that we don't want to listen to. Once you get more than one, then it can't be a gem. And there's only one, realistically, that I don't even really want to listen to. And I know people that love this song. It's a good song. It's just not necessarily for me. And and that's no makeup. But everything is on there. Solidified. Lars, I would agree with you. I would, I would, as a whole, I would take Section 80 over Magna Carta. Yeah. I mean, and no it, makeup. It, hey, we talk, no makeup yeah. is actually one of my favorite joints on there. <laughs> see, see, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm not a fan of no makeup, but I, by no means would I ever say that no makeup is a bad song, because it isn't a bad song. It isn't a bad song. It's just, it's definitely not my favorite. It's my least favorite on the album, but it's a banger. It's a banger, and 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 it's a really good. Like I, Section 80. If you don't have it, you need it. If if you don't listen to anything I ever say on what we hear, if you don't ever even YouTube a song that I say on what we hear, please, please do yourself a favor and get Section 80. Get acquainted with it. Get familiar with it. Study it because it is that good. And that's it. Cathedral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, yo, listen, I just man. started with the... Uh... Or if anybody just started with the good kid Mad City and just doesn't know where Kendrick Lamar came from, because then they're then you they're highly miseducated. Exactly. Well, see, the thing is, the thing is, if someone starts with good kid Mad City and jumps back to Section 80, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised. 
I think they're I yeah. think they're going to be like, oh wait, so I I should have known this already. Because that's I, right. I mean I'm not going to be I'm not going to sit here and say you know what I was a Kendrick Lamar fan from day one because I wasn't. I didn't listen to Section 80 until probably about ten months after it actually released. But one, as soon as I heard it, all it took is one time for me to say, you know what, this is it. This is everything, and 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 it's honestly just that good. I would have to I would have to concur on all fronts. Um, yeah, good stuff all around, gentlemen. We have a very special caller that I'm bringing in as we speak, um, and he's live with us right now. Um, caller, tell us your name and where you're calling from. You're live with the collective. Hello. Oh, they call me Shaw Daddy. But seriously, uh, they call me Shaw. And I call in just to inform you guys on what I've been listening to this whole week. I agree yes, with everything. I agree with everything y'all said, the Jay Z. I'm not sure if that's spiritually me, but production wise, I'm a big fan. It is amazing. And then I actually found out this morning. The track Crown was produced by a 16-year-old girl from Toronto. My goodness. Did you see that? Right. That blew my mind. That blew my mind, along with the Party Next Door production. Before that. Like, you know, like, I'm currently happy with, like, the type of music we've been hearing lately from, like, all these different people, Party Next Door, and also this guy, Kevin Gates. He also have a new track with Pusha T., and it's called Trust You. Please take a listen to it. I like this guy. He's very different. He's not a typical trap rapper or future. It's like all of the above. He's like a lot different production. I'm also a producer, so I always go for the production over everything. So I'm pretty biased when it comes to lyrics, unless you're really, really good, unless you're Kendrick Lamar, as what Lawrence was saying, or I guess a Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> I actually grabbed um, Shaw. You actually told me about Kevin Gates not too long ago. I grabbed his. Pretty sure it was his latest project, the Luca Brassi story, and I yeah, listened to some yep. stuff on there. Definitely, definitely a different kind of like southern kind of trap vibe. You know, you want mm-hmm. to say guys mm-hmm. like Future and stuff, but he really does have his own kind of distinct sound right now. It, he's, yep. I think, he's bringing That's- something fresh. I have to agree, and at the same time, he's also lyrical. So it's not just like he's lucking up on tracks. Like, he's actually lyrical, like, putting stuff together that people want to hear. I feel like in the future, we will definitely hear about him a lot more. Along with the party next door. I'm a big fan. Okay, okay. Thank you for giving us your input. We definitely appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. Shaw Meets World at Shaw underscore S. Underscore H underscore A underscore W on Twitter. Holler at me. Oh. All day. Thanks, Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> Special call in from our homie uh Big Shaw calling in and let us know what he's been listening to. Um gentlemen, I do I wanna get to our, our, our two um, you know, panel topics for today. Um first up, Mr. Earl Sweatshirt from Odd Future, um, the young M C um, has since pushed back the release date for his forthcoming album, Doris, which was set to release sometime this month, I believe, but it has since been pushed back, and he announced the official release date for it the other day and the track list, and it'll drop on August 20th. Um, I want to talk about Earl and, you know, kind of just the context of 
of, you know, younger guys in hip-hop, um, you know, like Earl, um, Joey Badass, other guys that we've talked about. Um, but, you know, some context on Earl. Um, Lawrence, why don't you, you know, give listeners, you know, people who may not be as familiar a little bit of context on Earl Sweatshirt and maybe what to expect from this from this album. Um, I'm actually going to start, Martin. This is, this is okay. Um, so, I would say two summers ago, um, when the world pretty much was introduced to Odd Future, um, one of the projects, if not the project for me, that kind of showed me what type of talent these kids, because they, they were kids, they still are, that these kids possessed, um, was a project called Earl by Earl Sweatshirt, which is a lyrical masterpiece, okay? It, it is as technically sound and as lyrically stimulating as you're going to get in hip-hop. I would argue that Earl is the best piece of, of, of work that anybody in our future has put out, and I, and I think most would agree. And that mixtape, within the last three years, I think you can make a very, very strong argument that you can possibly put it in your top ten. Um it took the it took hip hop listeners by storm. Um, his content way different than anything we've ever heard. Way way different than anything we've ever heard. Um, his delivery yeah. way different than anything we've ever heard. His metaphors, his wordplay, way way different than anything we've ever ever heard. So when you hear it, you had to really take a step back and say, okay, why is he sixteen? Why has why are we just hearing from him, and what is his ceiling if if he has a ceiling? Since then, the lore and the mystique and and all that stuff with Earl is is gone for me. Um, he he his parents sent him to a kind of like a child correctional facility. Uh, wow! So when Odd Future was really making their push, you know, Tyler had the Yonkers record that was huge. The video was huge. Um, Odd Future was essentially splashing onto the scene. You know, in the movie where things get really fast, when 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 they're showing a part of the movie where things are going well, like in Blow, when 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 things that's that's how I saw things for Odd Future. It was like a movie. It was like, wow, these kids are racing onto the scene out of nowhere, and they were doing it. Um, for me, as a hip hop listener. Earl was the spearhead to that because he's the most talented out of the group as far as rapping. Since he's made a return, he's put out a couple things here and there. He's featured on a couple things here and there. He had the the weak verse on on Channel Orange. Um, I, to me, I think it, I think it was weak from from the standards of Earl. Um, and and to be honest, now that you know a little background on him, for me. I think things have died down a lot since since that day. I, I, I think since since when Earl first dropped, I think his buzz, I think his I think his drive, I think everything has died down a little bit, but the potential is still there for him to put out a classic album in my opinion, because he is uber, uber talented. So um though his buzz is not where it once was 
you have to listen to this album if you're a hip-hop fan because this kid is that talented. You want to talk about Joey Badass? Earl is the West Coast Joey Badass. In my opinion, he he probably has Joey Badass because he's if if, if Tommy, if you like what what Joey's talking about and how intricate he is at his age, Earl was the same thing, possibly better at his age. Um and and for me, they are the they they are the the Biggie Tupac of the of the Young Guns as far as you know the East Coast West Coast thing. Um, mm. It's this kid, man. He can either tank it bad, or he'll <laughs> blow you away. I, I'm serious. He can. Is this album could either tank, 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 or or it's gonna blow your mind away. That's just what type of rapper he is. So yeah, if we get a if we get a Earl esque type Earl album. I think the hip hop scene is gonna take a little shift, and it's gonna be because of Earl. Um, but you know that that remains to be seen. It's 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 hard with a guy like this because yeah. we we don't know what we're gonna get from him. But the potential is is actually pretty scary. I'll, I'll be very honest. His potential is he doesn't have a ceiling um, at all. The only person that can hinder him from getting to where he needs to be is him and the people around him. So, very, very interesting album coming August. One of the, probably a sleeper during the summer, coming towards the end of the summer, but something that once we look at this summer in hip-hop, after that album drops, I think then we can talk about the summer in hip-hop. I don't think we can talk about it quite yet without that album being out. That's how, and that's how impactful it could actually be when it's all said and done. Yeah, so I, I agree. I, I, I definitely agree in the sense that, you know, um, it, and and Earl and Odd Future, um, you know, it's like you said, Jay, they made such a hard splash when they first came on the scene. Um, since then, you know, uh, it's kind of fluctuated a little bit. I mean, you know, they've had projects here and there. The Tyler's done his, his two albums, the, the Wolf album from this year, and then... Um, uh, uh, his first album, which is which is escaping my mind right now, the name of it. Um, um, but, you know, but even Domo Genesis dropped the No Idols mixtape. Um, you know, little things here and there, and, and and I couldn't agree more. You know, Earl is the shining light of that group when it comes to you know representing hip hop and bringing something to hip hop that is um, you know emerging and you know someone that can really you know emerge in the hip hop mold. Um, I think it's interesting what you said, and, and I agree with it completely, but I, I think it's really fascinating because, you know, um, a guy as young as Earl um, and a guy with, you know, still the kind of ceiling that he has, the fact that we say that about him, that, you know, his album will either be a tank because of what we know he can do, what we've seen, what he can do from that Earl album, or it's going to be something that people will need to hear that people will need to know about and I, I just i just think that's a really interesting notion because he is so young and he and I, I feel like we we tend to say that about albums for guys that are older you know what i mean like uh, you know this will be hit or miss it's either going to be good or it'll be or it's going to be you know it's going to be awful and the fact that we hold earl to that standard now 
I think is really important. And, you know, like I said, you know, I want the the young movement in hip-hop, the younger guys, you know, and and I I really want to focus on them, um, you know, around the context of Earl. And, you know, Earl and Joey Badass, you know, right at the top of that list, those guys are, you know, they're kind of the most popular, they're kind of, you know, doing the most, their names are kind of out there the most. And in terms of their potential and their ceiling, Jay, I think you make a really interesting analogy there with the East Coast, West Coast thing, and these guys are so young. Um, you see them having that kind of impact, the kind of, you know, it may not be, you know, as significant as Biggie and, and Tupac, but figuratively, you know, they will they represent those mantras for the East Coast, for the West Coast brand of hip-hop. And obviously, you know, what Kendrick and TDE is doing from the West Coast is obviously, you know, revamping West Coast hip-hop as well. Um any other young guys that come to mind, you know, that – because I just think it's really important. I feel like there's – not to quote, you know, from the Meek Mill song, but I really – I literally feel like if, if there's so many levels to hip-hop right now, you know. I feel like you have your, your, your upper echelon guys, your top-tier guys, you know, Jay, Kanye, um, you know, Nas and those guys who are, you know, who are still doing it well, legends in their own right. You know, you've got guys kind of middle of the pack, you know, with a sincere name for themselves doing some good things, you know, Pusha T and, and you know, Big Sean and, and guys that we talk about, you know, uh, and, and then right. you've got, you know, the younger guys that are coming up, your Joeys, your Earls, um, you know, Damo, even this young fellow Bishop Maru, um, even Mac Miller, he's part of that mold too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. again, guys like um, – like I said, this Bishop Nauru character, who I think is really about to come on to the scene, I, I don't know everything about, you know, his movement yet or when he plans to, you know, kind of emerge yet, but he has a project out called Naruvia, which is it, 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 it's very Joey Badass-ish. And, you know, I, you, you don't want to say that, you know, you don't really want to say that. But it, it reminds you of that kind of New York Joey Badass feel. And, I you know, Bishop Nauru, another kid named Astro, who I've listened to, who is a younger guy who's kind of coming up. So, you know, Lawrence, it's, you know, it's like what are we looking for from these young guys, you know, with this Doris album, with, you know, with, with young guys coming up and having a, a, a more prominent name in hip-hop now, you know, what what should we be looking for from these young guys who are looking to emerge in hip-hop? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things I'm realistically looking for and we all should be looking for from them. I there's there's been a shift of some sort where you know younger guys that are rapping aren't doing it the same way younger guys that were rapping back in the day did it or or at least when we were coming up and i mean those guys were obviously a lot younger i'm thinking about like you know the bow wows and the romeos those guys who were coming out you know writing songs mm-hmm. ideally to, to their general demographic like they're writing songs for other kids they're not necessarily writing songs for like adults these guys are realistically tying in adult subject matter. Like Tommy talked about how when he listens to Joey Badass, he feels like Joey Badass is a 25-year-old talking to him. And and that's been one of the coolest things to see with the, these younger guys is that there's no necessarily like demographic blockers to where it's like holding them to, to certain subject matters. Like they're talking about a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily think 16-, 17-, 18-year-old kids would, would be talking about. I mean, and, and they realistically are. From Earl, I'm, I'm looking for something uh, substantial in terms of the music. We know that he can rap. It's the same thing with Joey Badass. I think Joey Badass, with his last mixtape with the, with the Summer Nights, he's kind of made a statement and made a stance to say, you know what, 
I'm I'm sticking to this underground sound. This is where my bread and butter is. This is where you know I got my rise to fame. I'm not going to stray away from that at least yet. Like like Summer Nights is very underground, very New York boom bat sounding. You know, like not not your mainstream rap, not not what you would expect from like a you know a Big Sean or a or a Wiz or anything like that. Like it's it's a lot different. And I I I want to see Earl find a good middle ground in that because he mm. has the talent to not to, to, to be able to, you know, rise up out of the underground ranks and really start to make a name for himself. But I think it, it, it I think a, it's a respect thing. I, I think his peers and his elders in the game need to be able to see, you know, all right, this kid Earl sweatshirt is no joke. And it's and not just the fans, you know, like I, I, I want him to start to, to really gain some recognition because he is, He's he when he wants to and when he really does it he raps at as high of a level as anybody realistically yeah. I mean it it's very complex it's very intricate it's not something that you know he just threw some words down on a paper i.e. Chief Keith and and you know just just like hummed it, it, it he's actually like <laughs> saying something he's actually doing something with the music so I'm I'm really looking forward to this Doris project I think that he could do something cool. I think that Odd Future in general is kind of like shifted past the whole shock value thing. That's how they got on, and and more power to them. You know that whatever way you can get in the public's eyes is 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 good. You know if you're going to be making yourself some money, and and they did it with the really extreme bars. All every most of it is about like murder or rape or Satan and stuff like that. So I mean I mean he's definitely moved past. I just want to see him be able to maintain. I want to see him be able to still musically do what he did without having to use that shock value, you know, because that's what the best do. They're able to adjust, and then they're able to progress. I'm, I mean, we talk about progression. I, I've said this a million times on the show. We we look for artists to progress. We look for artists to get better. I want to see Earl get better musically. I want him to, to be able to, you know, really put down hooks. I want him to really be able to, to you know, construct, a good song, and and I feel like he certainly has the capabilities of doing that. That's what I'm looking for the most out of Doris. I'm looking for there to be some really cool songs on there because, like I said, we know he can rap. Like, like the, it's not a question of can this kid rap. It's whether he's good enough to actually, you know, make something out of it. So I, I want Earl to make something out of it. I've heard one song off of it so far, which is just the Woe song, which is his first single that he dropped. Um, what was it? Maybe a few week or a few months ago, a couple months back. He has a video for it and all of that. It's it's cool. It's not necessarily like mind blowing. It's not something that you know I would push and and talk about on what we hear or anything like that. But it, it is a good. It's a step in the right direction because he, he's making music. Jay talked about the the hiatus he took and kind of. We we want to be able to see him get back to that old Earl after this hiatus, you know. And and we've heard some things that that point to him getting back to it. He just hasn't fully gotten there yet, I don't think. So I mean, he he certainly is taking his time with this project, and it seems like he's really like put some like care and effort into it. So I'm hoping that that he can really do something substantial with this because I think it could be something great. Yeah. Again, it's it's um. It says a lot, you know, with these young guys. Um, I think you make a really good point, Lawrence, in terms of how young guys are approaching hip-hop now and, um, 
and and I mean maybe it's not as much of approach, but maybe it's just in any you know kind of talent level. It's a demographic thing. You know, you brought up you know Bow Wow and stuff, and those those guys, Lil Romeo, when we were when we were coming up, we remember you know Lil Bow Wow. You just don't know the way you move so fast across the floor. I mean that you know, you know that was show, a hit. Show, my fault, my fault, my fault. But that was a hit, you know, and and, and you know. You've got guys, you know, to our, you know, to our uh, satisfaction as listeners, um, we've got guys like Earl and Joey um, and guys that are coming up that are trying to do um, a cater a little bit more to, um, you know, hip-hop as opposed to just making hits. But I think, Lawrence, what I also hear you saying, and, and I'm, I, I want to try to make this distinction the right way because, I don't, you know, I don't want to mess up your, your point, but... Um, it almost makes me think of when you when you you know brought up the whole you know song making applying hooks and and you know really putting together and I don't hear you I, I don't hear you saying and I don't think you're trying to say putting together hit like no Battle no Battle. not putting together hits you, not that's not, not that's the, not what it is yeah no I, I'm not concerned with him putting together something that's going to you know be taken in by the masses because I I don't think he's that type of artist everybody's not that type of artist to where they can you know, put something out that's going to, that's going to touch across across borders across horizons. Like it, it's, I I don't think that he is necessarily an artist that's going to have a song that's going to have that type of mass appeal. I I want him musically to put together. Uh, I think we I think we lost uh, Lawrence temporarily, uh, Tommy. Um, We'll let him finish his point on Earl once we get him back, Tommy. But um, you know, uh, our last topic. I was I was hoping to get a little more time to get to our last topic today. But I, I did. I wanted I wanted to talk about R and B a little bit, Tommy. And I know this is this is an area that you resonate with. And I, you know, I know you have you know kind of a general opinion on. But you know, I was talking to someone this week, kind of just about the R and B scope right now and how it's evolved from kind of, you know, the 90s kind of smooth R&B feel into this kind of, you know, eclectic postmodern um, type of vibe for R&B now. I mean, you've got a lot of different avenues, and, and I bring it up, you know, in these last couple of days because, and I you know, put up the songs on what we hear um, on our on our music blog, whatwehear.blogspot.com. Justin Timberlake and Robin Thicke are two guys that are winning in R&B right now. And like I said on the post when I put up the Robin Thicke song, I'm still astonished that Justin Timberlake and Robin Thicke can even exist in the same universe because to me they're like the same person. But they're both winning in in the same lane but kind of different lanes, but they both bring um, kind of a more dancey, funky kind of vibe to them. I mean, musically I think they're both very talented. Um, but, I mean, just the general scope of R&B, Tommy, because I know, you know, you resonate with kind of, you know, the old Carl Thomas, kind of Luther Vandross type of feel. I don't, you know, I know, that, I know that's your vibe, man. I know it is. And, you know, the, the R&B scope is very vast. It's very diverse right now, much like hip-hop, I feel like. You know, um, you've got guys like The Weeknd who, you know, he's got his own kind of sound going on with, with you know, the auto-tune and the reverb like Jay was talking about before. You've got guys like Party Next Door, this 19-year-old who we've mentioned these last couple of weeks coming up and bringing a real, you know, kind of fresh, different sound and vibe to R&B. But, you know, you've got your traditionals. Like, you've got John Legend who's still around. Um, you know, you've got, and, and I think there's kind of a distinction between male and female R&B because the, it, I think there's a, 
very clear distinction between those those two genres with male and female R and B. I think I think they're both kind of in different places. But Tommy, speak a little bit. You know, what do you think about the state of R and B right now? Do you think it's it's evolved for the better? It's crazy because I was that kid back in eighth grade walking into school with my Walkman on listening to Donnell Jones' Where I Want to Be and getting made fun of by my homies because, (laughs) getting made fun of by my homies because, you know, I was supposed to be listening to G-Unit and, you know, even though I did listen (laughs) to rap music back then, but that's the type of kid I was because that's, you know, that's where my roots are, are, were planted. You know, know, Carl Thomas, I'm just going to list off a few names that I've written down in just some songs. Carl Thomas, Wish I Never Met Her, Summer Rain, um, the emotional (laughs) song, the, the Can't Believe song featuring Faith Evans, you know, um, Avant, Read Your Mind, uh, My First Love, Classics. the song, the song Karma with Lloyd Banks, um, you know Joe, uh, I want to know, you know if if I was your man, all the things, no one, you know what I mean. This is Case, you know Keith. My son Sweat, John B. You know, John B. I mean even Usher back then. I mean R and B, R and B is a completely different sound now, and I feel like back in the day it was it was more. It was more okay to be in love with the female and express that through a song, a sensual song, you know, a mood-setting song that really, really just hits home. And I feel that's not popular anymore. And that's the direction that R&B has kind of strayed away from. I'm not saying I don't like today's R&B, but you know, just from the names I told you and some of the songs, that's it's far from where where it, where it came from. And you know, I feel like, it, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean. I I feel like nah, the names. But, now, those names and that kind of that kind of mold of R and B right now, I feel like is the minority. I really do because you mentioned Usher, who in his own right is an R and B legend. I mean, and, and he's still around. He's still making music, but he's not making anything close to Confession, right, Jay? I mean, Confessions was that work. It, it, it was. It was just. It was. Top to bottom, phenomenal love songs, phenomenal writing. I mean, it was it was emotional. It was burn. It was it was you know all these songs that you know and and again and Usher now it's like you said, Tommy, the, the R and B skeptical spectacle has it, I, in terms of the masses because I, I think you point out certain guys and I and what I'm kind of getting at is my final point is that I think you just need to know where to look right now for R and B because it has evolved so much. Um, and, you know, your mainstream R&B right now, sadly, you know, it's all about the turn-up. <laughs> I, like I feel like your typical R&B record does not thrive right now unless, you know, unless it's sung by, a, you know, a Frank Ocean or a Miguel or a John Legend or someone of that sort. Um, but, you know, otherwise, I feel like R&B is straying too much into the whole turn-up phase right now. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I see that trend. And even with Chris Brown's last album, um, the Fortune album. I mean, it was just so, you know, electronic and upbeat and dance. And, you know, why not water it down? Why not get back to the roots of just, you know, smooth? You know, uh, Jay, what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on me too? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, I think there was a, sh- there was certainly a shift in, in to where, I like the, the. Got big, you know, <laughs> not just just throwing it out there. Like the 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 trade for people to kind of have a hip hop feel from an R and B singer, 
and and now it's certainly turned that all the way. I mean, you know, future is an example. Of that. There's plenty yeah. of of you know half rapper now, yeah. um, to where R and B is taking a drastic shift away from the classic Otis Redding, Sam Cooke. Come on, man. It's, it's it's totally you can't even compare the two. Um, but that's just that's that's the structure. What's hot right now? What's going to get played on the radio? You know, all that stuff. That's what matters right now. So those classic singers, that stuff is is thing of the past, and and it's unfortunate, but but that's just the shift. The everything is no exception to that. So it's uh it, it's really it's really difficult um to kind of sift through what still kind of has its roots in R&B and what is that R&B fusion over the last couple of years. Yeah, well said. Well said on all counts. Um, you know, and again, you know, we mentioned, Jay, you brought a party over, a party next door um, today, and, you know, it's, it's just another example of, you know, if you're going to make noise in R&B, if you well, rather if you're going to look to bring something unique and fresh, that's you know that's not and nothing against Future. I'm highly critical of Future, but you know Future has his lane. You know he's he's Ratchet and Blues. That you know that's his R&B is Ratchet and Blues, and that works for him. Um, yeah. But it you know it comes down to like you said, sifting through, finding guys like Party Next Door. Um, you know sticking with guys like Miguel and Frank Ocean who are doing such genuine things with, and again, with Miguel, I feel like it's kind of your more, probably the most uh, true to the traditional R and B. I think, I mean, Frank Ocean, he's got all kinds of influences. I mean, he, I mean, he's got the R and B soul aspect to him, but in terms of his music, I mean, you've got all kinds of elements to it. So that, you know, you see R and B, like you guys all said so well, really expanding and evolving and maybe should we blame Drake for this, guys? The half rapping half, and yet should we just blame Drake for you know is it is it Drake's fault? Are, are we into an era where you have to be able to rap and sing? Is I mean maybe maybe R and B is just slowly diminishing into a subset of hip hop. That that could be an interesting discussion for another day. Um, but uh, we're, unfortunately, we're out of time, um, so uh, we got to wrap up for the day. Uh, signing off, Tommy Hill, Lawrence Reels, Jason Reels. Um, a pleasure to have you fellas on with me for another Saturday afternoon. This is The Collective. Find us on Twitter. Follow follow our show blog, thecollectiveradio.blogspot.com. And as always, check us out every Saturday, 1 to 3 p.m., talking sports, music, and all kinds of good stuff. Gentlemen, we're signing off for the afternoon. Yeah. We out here. Brianna. On behalf of the Keys 107, we thank you for tuning in to The Collective. Check us out at Blogspot, our show blog, The Collective Radio, our basketball blog, Basketball Feed, our music blog, What We Hear, and our TV and movie blog, Television Cinema. Follow us on Twitter at Collective underscore DTR, as well as Instagram, and join our Facebook group, The Collective. And as always, tune in every Saturday with us between 1 and 3 p.m. Eastern Time, where young hosts come together to discuss and critique topics in sports, music, television, and film. Now let the beat rock out.